big vision is kind of like, I want to go to the top of that mountain. Well, in order to get to that top of the mountain, there's a lot of little steps. If I say, I want to take a lot of little steps, it's not very exciting, (laughs) but the big vision of where we're going is what hooks you in. And then when you get stuck or whatever, you go, why am I? Oh, right. Because I want to get to the top of that mountain. I want that view. Mm. I want that perspective. I want that that transformation. And then I also want to be able to ski downhill. Yeah. listening to Inside Acting, a podcast dedicated to demystifying the inner and outer game of success in the entertainment industry. I'm Trevor Elgott, and coming up in episode 229, in a bit of a departure from our usual interview subject matter, I sit down with artist, activist, and all-around fascinating guy, Tom Seppi, to chat about the big picture, which is why we do what we do as artists, how and why we're all activists, where true global change and transformation begins, and what's ahead for the human race. Yeah, we go there. Tom is one of the guys that helped modify the Tesla S for the documentary Racing Extinction, which we've talked about a few times in the show. Highly recommend you check it out. He's got some great insights into what this art thing is all about. Support for this episode of Inside Acting comes from Rehearsal Pro, the next version of Rehearsal, the essential app for actors, which is coming in just a few short weeks. If you want to learn your lines, be off book for auditions, explore your character, make stronger choices, and do a whole lot more, including stuff that I alluded to in the last episode that I can't talk about yet, but that I know about, and it's going to be awesome. Just go to rehearsal.pro slash IAP right now. If you're not using it, what's wrong with you? Check it out. It is a really, really solid investment in your craft and career. Reserve your soon-to-be-released copy of Rehearsal Pro right now at rehearsal.pro slash IAP. That's rehearsal.pro slash IAP. Support for this episode also comes from VO2GoGo.com, the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best VO Training four years in a row. Visit VO2GoGo.com slash start for a free getting started in voiceover online class that'll help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. It is some of the best training available. And yes, I'm biased. And yes, I speak from experience. That's VO, the number two, gogo.com slash start. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 229 of Inside Acting. Trev here. AJ will be joining us in person next episode, but also in this episode just via pre-recorded, you know, magic style stuff. Uh, not a ton to report on my end. I'm always a fan of just, I don't know, I, I don't like talking about myself a ton. I actually like talking about other people a lot more. My grandmother always said that's why God gave us two ears and one mouth. We're supposed to be listening twice as much as we're talking. 
funny coming from me, right? Funny. Anyway, two things I wanted to mention uh, right off the top of the episode here, and then we'll jump in uh, to the rest of it, is number one, we're on Instagram. I don't know if you guys know that, but Tim Timothy Patrick Waterman has been heading up our Instagram and Twitter accounts. He's doing such an awesome job. There's just a lot of inspiring stuff over uh, on our Instagram feed, and I've signed up on Instagram to get notifications pushed to my phone every time that, that uh, uh, a photo or something is, is posted. So um, every time my phone beeps and it says, you know, Inside Acting posted a new photo, I'm over there and I'm always just so thrilled to see the cool stuff that, that Timothy's doing and that uh, the community is kind of rallying around. So uh, check it out. It's just Inside Acting, Instagram.com slash Inside Acting. Hope to see you there. And secondly, we've gotten a lot of great feedback uh, on Allie's question from an episode or two ago. This was the question about being called a, a bad actor for not doing a scene that that had some personal triggers for her. We, we talked about, you know, sometimes acting teachers can get a little aggressive and, you know, I think generally they, they have your best interests at heart. They want you to kind of push past a, a block or an obstacle, whether it's emotional or physical or, or whatever, because they want to see you do your best work. But sometimes they don't really go about it the best way. Um, and we've gotten a lot of response to this. It really touched a nerve in the community. And um, we're going to be talking about that on upcoming episodes uh, a lot more just because we've gotten such such great comments and thoughts and suggestions and advice and I've been there and experienced that too type stuff from listeners. So if you have anything to share, please send it our way. We are definitely going to be giving a lot of airtime to everybody's input and thoughts and um, make sure that this is an issue that we uh, as actors approach and handle professionally, maturely, safely, and in an enlightened way, um, because, you know, on one level, this is what we do. But on another level, you know, psychodrama is not what we do, at least not in this time uh, and era. So AJ has a really cool story that he recorded for us and sent our way. So I'm going to go ahead and play that now and just chime in with a few thoughts on the other side. But uh, here we go. AJ, what's up? Hey, guys, I just wanted to share a quick story. I had a few auditions this week and most of them are great and they were for once again, just great projects and, you know, some more television stuff. And I had this one that was a feature film audition, but it was a film made up of a bunch of vignettes. So it was almost like I was auditioning for a short film. Anyway, the story that I wanted to tell was that the casting director who shall remain nameless was, um, let's say older, uh, probably in their 50s or so, and maybe 60s. And he basically, he had a lot of experience in the industry. And he had he even at one point pointed out some degrees or certificates that he had on the wall for some graduate degrees that he had. And he had taught uh, quite a bit. And I did my first take, and the scene was pretty, um, I don't want to call it intense, but the emotions behind what was happening in the scene were such that I had made some choices where I wasn't necessarily being overly emotive, but I wanted to make sure that I got across that, the, that I was, we'll call it grateful, my character was grateful. And as soon as I was done, he asked me where I went to school. And I said, 
UCLA? Like, why are you asking me that? And he said, okay, I want you to forget everything that UCLA taught you. And then he went on this, not long, but somewhat long um, explanation that whenever he has graduates from UCLA, USC, NYU come in, he can pick them out. And he said, I almost picked you out for an NYU grad until I looked at your resume. And I was like, okay, what does that mean in my head? I didn't say that out loud. But basically, he said, you're indicating those programs teach you how to indicate. I'm like, wow, it's been a very long time since I've been accused of that. So, okay, I'll take the note. I'm not going to have a, you know, a big ego about this. He said, I want you to do it again, but I don't want you to indicate that you are sincere or grateful. Uh, No, he didn't use the word grateful. I used the word grateful. He said, I don't want you to indicate that you are sincere with this this other character, which I thought was weird because in the scene, the other character has just saved my character's life. So that's why I was being sincere in my gratitude toward him. And I said, "Uh, okay. And what's funny is what came to me was, I don't know if you guys remember back to when I was still in New York and I spent about an hour on the phone with my friend who is an older actor who's very experienced and and works all the time. And he basically gave me an hour long, you know, acting workshop over the phone. And I typed a bunch of notes and posted them in the membership. But one of the things that he said in that hour long session was, you know, casting directors don't always speak actor ease. They don't always speak actor. And so sometimes when they give a note, they don't necessarily know how to speak to an actor and have them understand. Now, in this case, this casting director does have some experience teaching. So it's a little bit different. But he said, because actors or because casting directors don't necessarily know how to speak actor, very often what I will do in an audition is I will just take the note say thank you or okay or what have you, and then just get quieter. And that made me laugh at the time when I was on the phone with him, but it came into play in a big way here because I didn't necessarily know how to take this casting director's note, but what I did was I remembered that conversation with my friend and I just got quieter. Quieter, more still, did the take again, and when I was when when that was done, the casting director was nodding. They were putting me on tape, and he said, "If you take my note, you'll work all the time. The camera is interested in what's going on inside, not what's going on on the outside." Now I, I once again already really you know knew that, and I knew, and I had gotten that same note from my friend on that hour-long phone call. But here it was, you know, happening in real time, in real life, in a real audition situation. And it's something that I will be able to take with me into future auditions and hopefully not have that first take in the first place. Once again, not saying that it was necessarily bad, But I did end up getting that note. So just kind of an interesting audition story and wanted to hear 
if there was anything that you guys did either before an audition, like putting yourself on tape, even if you're going into the room during an audition or in your preparation that got you ready to tell the story, but trust yourself and not necessarily indicate in order to tell the story. Thanks for listening. Uh, Back to Trevor. You know, I haven't heard that word indicating in a long, long time. That was something that uh, some of my college professors used to say to me constantly. And and I find that it's actually a very common thing among uh, stage trained actors. This this um, proclivity, as it were, to indicate, which which if you're not sort of familiar with what that means, basically it's um, it's kind of like overly gesturing to to illustrate an idea or a point or an emotion or a feeling. So rather than just saying, you know, like you caused this to somebody, you would like point at them aggressively and say, you caused this. And there may be times where that's appropriate, but when casting directors and directors and producers and stuff give you a note that says, you know, you're indicating usually means that you don't necessarily need to indicate this thing with your entire body. The words can be enough. And so the note that AJ interpreted to just get quieter, I think is is really on point, especially for this, uh, because it, obviously it would mean, you know, you're, you're um, not pushing as hard to make the point or, or illustrate the idea. But also I think it's a great way to give casting directors and producers and people who are running sessions something different without having to come up with a brand new idea a lot of times we you know we'll get the note like give me two or three takes of of this thing or this idea and we think we need to do one where we're excited and then one where we're sad or something i'm totally talking about this this stuff as if it's like a kid's toy right now but you guys get the idea but what i think is a great takeaway about this is that uh we can do the same sort of ideas we've come up with. We can share the same aspect of ourselves uh, that we're bringing to this character and just sort of play with the different levels of intensity. In the voiceover classes I teach, that's something we talk about a lot. Uh, the idea of of energy not necessarily meaning volume. Um, energy, if we say like it needs more energy, it needs less energy, that can often be interpreted as Volume. It means, oh, I need to be louder. I need to be bigger. But oftentimes it just means more intense. I can be very, very intense without raising my volume. So I really, really uh, love that. And that's a fantastic, fantastic story. We have a lot of emails and voicemails and things from listeners that uh, I'm going to table and shelve until the next episode because I really love having uh, AJ's input on this kind of stuff. But uh, like I said earlier, lots of responses to Allie's question. And we also have a lot of other great questions to field. Thank you guys for sending in your your thoughts and your questions and suggestions and all that. We are collecting all of them. They are all slated <laughs> to have some airtime coming up uh, very soon. So keep them coming. Last thing I want to mention before we jump into Tom's interview is that, as I mentioned at the very top of this episode... Tom modified or sort of helped modify the Tesla S in the documentary Racing Extinction. And if you haven't seen that documentary, it's it's uh, it's pretty awesome. Uh, it's not easy to watch at times, but I think it, it makes an important statement about things that are happening, about human nature. And uh, I love the way Tom comes at this whole idea because he's an artist, he's an activist, he's an inventor, he's a creator, he likes to get his hands dirty. And the Tesla S that they modified for that film is awesome. 
uh, check it out. They put this bioluminescent paint on it. They built this robotic arm that comes out of the back with like a 15,000 lumens projector to project images of wildlife on buildings and streets and things. And and Tom is uh, one of the guys chiefly responsible for that thing working. And he's also, uh, I think, the sole operator for it. So chances are, if, if you have on the off chance seeing that Tesla uh, around, you know, doing its thing with the projections that Tom was actually in the car. So uh, we have an article that uh, just recently got posted about Tom's work on that that uh, is uh, on our website in the show notes for this episode, so check it out. And without further ado, here is my chat with Tom Seppi. Enjoy this, guys. Catch you on the other side. everybody, this is Trev. I am one, on one end of a Skype call with a gentleman named Tom Seppi. He is a multimedia artist, a performer, a designer, um, and a self-described organizer with a penchant for collaboration, community, and activism. Um, Tom, I know you have some roots in theater. You, you were uh, an actor since a young age, I think around age five or so. You joined a local theater community? Yeah, that's correct. Actually, uh, when I was five, I uh, started doing, uh, you know, after school and summer theater. And, uh, you know, it's funny because I it wasn't until I was like probably uh, in my 20s that I, I confronted my mom and asked her like, why, you know, hey, why did you put me in that thing? Because it was kind of formative to be around the theater. It was like my second home. It was like my second family. It was a world of imagination and creativity and humor and, and flirtation and, you know, all these wonderful things. And I asked my mom, you know, why did, why did you put me in that program? She goes, yeah, I was five years old, you know, and she goes, oh, that's easy. You asked. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess I wanted to do it. And I guess I knew uh, from an early age. So, yeah, I, I started doing a lot of theater, um, Really, really young. And then that led to a ton of stuff. I mean, you have a, a bachelor's in creative studies. Uh, you had a focus on multidisciplinary art at UCSB. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I was, you know, always interested in the arts. I was also interested in, in science and math and was really good at science and math in, in high school and in grade school and everything. But I, I certainly enjoyed, uh, you know, taking art classes and and uh, I actually went to college as a physics major. Um, but I did, I did still some acting when I was in high school. And then when I got to college, um, I just started doing a whole bunch of different things. I actually started creating my own major in performance art. I started seeing what was happening in, I I will, so let me back up. I I was, I went to college as a physics major, but I, I was really interested in alternative energy. And so that was really my, 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 my goal was to work in the alternative energy industry. And then I saw what was happening with, um, with, with all the, um, you know, what was happening in our, in our political world, basically at that time, it was when the first Persian Gulf War broke out. And, and I was like, wait, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do something positive for the environment. And our country is at war over oil. And that's when I first realized that there was, I was missing something like that. We, Hmm. we had the technology, we had the, you know, there, everything was in place. It just like the, the, the social, uh, pressure or, you know, impetus wasn't, wasn't, 
wasn't enough. And, and that's when I, and that's when I saw these uh, other uh, dance and theater students that were doing performance art, uh, kind of guerrilla theater stuff, and having a real impact on people's consciousness in terms of, you know, tuning them into issues from a non-didactic kind of viewpoint. These kind of emotional. You know, which is where a lot of people make their decisions from anyway. Mm-hmm. And so the, the the theater and the arts was a way to address these issues in a way that just got people right in the gut and really made people feel and, and think and, and then respond. And, and I saw there was a really powerful way to make a difference in the world. And so I started studying performance art and I started bringing all the different things that I had brought to it, you know, when I learned how to weld. So now I was making a structure that I was doing performance from, or, you know, I had learned to do photography and graphic design. So now I was making posters that we were put wheat pasting in the middle of the night, you know, so I was kind of bringing all my various mm. skills as an artist uh, into activism um, and, and trying to, trying to really, you know, impact people. I love that. And I'm curious because Obviously, you're leveraging a lot of your sort of uh, talents to, to uh, you know, to add to this conversation. But why didn't you go into politics or something where it was a little bit more of a direct line? I don't know. I guess, I, you know, maybe it's just my my radical nature, my, my artistic soul, you know, just just it seems uh, that politics is just too, too dry. You know, my, my experience of uh, of you know, in, in college, especially of, uh, you know, I I was less interested in the politicians and I was more interested in the, in the people. I was more interested in, you know, the actual doing as opposed to the, the talking about, you know, so, you know, when I was in college, I also lived in a community house, you know, we had a community meal plan you know, I was involved with uh, a student bicycle shop where I was teaching people how to fix their own bikes um, you know, so I was just more of a hands-on type of person. Uh, and I think the coolest thing, or one of the coolest things, uh, that I know about you, I mean, obviously there's a lot to learn, but you worked on this, the race and extinction documentary, which we've talked about on the show recently. We had a listener write in about it. I finally had a chance to check it out and you actually really contributed to the modified Tesla S in the film and you built the robotic arm and you manned the camera and the projector. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how how you got into the mechanical side of things because that seems to be your real focus right now you 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 build a lot of things yeah yeah so like i said you know at an early age i I was you know a tinkerer and like to make things and um you know and then then uh but really what happened is when i got got out of college and I, i moved up to the bay area to to do um I, I i was doing performance art and dance and different things in the bay area and, and and then i kind of stumbled upon the burning man scene and that was where uh i started seeing people build really large scale kinetic sculptures and you know interactive environments and these kinds of these kinds of things and and that's when i started you know building things like art cars and you know giant metal three-legged aliens that you could climb up inside of and uh and so mm-hmm. forth and and so but i you know but i also um you know, having worked a lot on, on computers, like I was saying, I, I used to do graphic design. I did some video editing, and at a certain point, I, I started um, taking all those skills, and I, and I I got a job working for this company, Obscura Digital, in San Francisco, that does three um, D projection mapping. They do interactive technology, like really boutique, one off stuff, and they're the ones who um, 
who built the Tesla. I mean, I, I built it with Obscura because I was working for them. And Louis, the director, Louis Sahayos, the director of Racing Extinction, um, came to Obscura and said, hey, I, you know, I want to take these images of endangered species and make them huge. And Travis, the founder of Obscura, and you see some of this in the film, is like, well, yeah, let's do that. Let's let's take over the whole city. Let's project on the entire side of the Empire State Building. And actually, let's make something mobile. And Louis was like, great, yeah, let's make a mobile projection vehicle. And he said, you know, well, it's going to be that. Well, then it's got to be a Tesla. It's got to be the best, best electric car on the planet. And they said, yeah, so they got a Tesla. And that's when I was, I was working on another project at Obscura at that time. This is, what, two, almost three years ago. And uh, they came in with this uh, car and they're just hacking away at it. And I'm like, you know, what are you guys doing? And they're like, well, we're trying to get this projector in here and we get these motors keep breaking. I'm like, well, you're using the wrong motors. You got to order this, this and this. So I give them a bill of uh, stuff to order and they call me a week later. The guys on the project and say, hey, that stuff's here. Can you help install it? Awesome. <laughs> so uh, that's kind of how I got. I didn't even know what the project was for at that point, mm. you know. I just was like, okay, sure. And then I found out that it was for Louie and for this film. And I was really excited about what, you know, they were up to. And, and so that's, that's kind of like, I kind of came out it sideways. Um, and then I was able to bring my knowledge of electronics and kinetic stuff that from the tinkering and things that I had done. Um, so a few years ago I had built in 2007, actually I built a, an electric uh, motorcycle, like a steampunk. Yeah. I saw that on your website. Yeah. Yeah. And that got a lot of uh, attention on the web and, you know, that was kind of fun to make a electric vehicle, something I'd always wanted to do. Um, and so kind of my tinkering with electronics and being involved with like, you know, DIY and maker, maker type stuff. Um, kind of helped me to figure out how to build the stuff for the Tesla. Mm -hmm. Awesome. You know, we've talked a lot about on the, on the show recently, uh, art as activism. <clears throat> um, and sometimes I think people see that as a, as a versus conversation, you know, it's like you can be an artist, but if you give your speech at the Oscars about global warming, people are going to roll their eyes and groan. Uh, and now we're, I mean, we're, we're having this conversation, but I very much believe that the only people that the, government or, you know, governing entities have ever really been afraid of in the citizenry are artists because they have their finger on the pulse of the people and they, they alone can mobilize mass movements and things like that. And I, I feel like this issue, climate change, mass species uh, die off, loss of biodiversity, I feel like this is the issue of our time. And the politics aren't really interested unless there's money behind it. There's money in it somehow. And so it's really up to artists. And I'm, I'm curious to hear how that all has come together for you. You said you built a, an electric motorcycle and you worked on this documentary and you were excited about that. And obviously the film paints a pretty dire picture of things, but, but for, for you, where is this overlap? Like how, how is this all uh, part of the same mm, thing for you? It really, it really comes down to, you know, imagination and, and possibility because if, if what we're talking about is, is okay we're in this situation now, and so we we see what's happening around us, and then th th it's like the the vision to be able to imagine uh, something else, 
you know, uh, you know, I have a dream, you know, I have a vision. There's a, there's a, like, imagine if, you know, what if things like, like this? And, and what the, one of the things that artists can do, whether it's through film or through creating a crazy electric motorcycle or a Tesla that you can project images from is, is to create something that is unimaginable or was unimaginable or to create, to, to make something more real. Um, and I think that's, that is really the power of the artist. Now you have the, now you also have the power of the celebrity artists and they're, they're basically leveraging their sphere of influence, their, their voice as somebody who people know and listen to, you know, when, when, when Leo DiCaprio gave his Oscar speech and spoke about the environment, you know, he was, as, he was as much, he was using, he was leveraging his celebrity which is a wonderful thing. But the thing is, is that we all have a voice and we all live in a time right now when we can have an impact, where we could create something, even if it's a short video, we can post something on the web, we can, we can speak to our friends, we can, we can do something remarkable. And, mm-hmm. and by, by imagining something new and then, and then offering that up and then other people remark on that and, and it goes out into the world and it affects consciousness because people realize that there is something else that's possible and that other people will want it and support it. So, mm-hmm. so in many ways, that's, you know, that, that's the, I think in many ways, I think the role of the artist is to make, to make that intangible possibility and turn it into something that's more tangible or real that makes people go, Oh, something else is possible. Mm-hmm. And why aren't we doing that? Yeah. My next question was going to be for people who are out there and they're thinking like, gosh, I really want to be, uh, you know, a dancer or a singer or whatever art, a poet, something like that. And they see the state of, of the planet and, and, you know, things are not necessarily going in the best direction. I was going to ask, what do you think they could do? I, I would say, I think one of the most important things people can do is to connect with other people because we, you know, it, it's, the power of, of, of our time is that we have the the ability to connect so easily through the internet and to work together. And it's really through working together uh, that we can move mountains, you know, even a small group of people and also provides the kind of support so that you don't feel alone. You don't feel powerless. You have someone who's got your back. So I I think the number one thing is to find other people that are like-minded and to work with them. It's it's one of the things I hear people say all the time. I think I heard, uh, Marianne Williamson say this once, you know, where someone was complaining, oh, people aren't educated. They don't know, blah, blah, blah. And she, and she just said, stop. She said, stop. You know, like you're stopping yourself. There are plenty of people who do know. There's plenty of people who do care. There's enough people on the planet that are ready, willing and able to make a difference to change the face of society. It's mm-hmm. not a question of sitting around and saying, oh, you know, there's not enough of this or there's too much, edu-, you know, whatever. It's about getting finding those people and working together to make a difference. Mm-hmm. One of the quotes in the film is uh, better to light one candle than to curse the darkness. Because someone, you light one candle and someone else will find you because you're being a light. And then, you know, or you'll see somebody else's light and go, hey, that person's over there trying to do something. I'm going to support them in their efforts. And that, that creates that creates a movement. Yeah. On, on that note, uh, I was reading through some of the blog entries you've got on your website. And um, there's a, I went to the climate reality training in September in Miami with Al Gore and all those, those people. And one of the issues that, that comes up repeatedly on this like special private sort of Facebook like thing that we have called reality hub is how do you stay positive in the face of all this overwhelming bad news? 
And uh, some of the like you have one blog post that says despair versus dream, and it's beautifully written. But you you end it with has it occurred to people that our civilization is not civilized? And I'm wondering, in your estimation, are are we fucked? Uh, I mean, you know, many people are fucked in this very moment. You know, I mean, there's there's a lot of really terrible stuff happening right now. Uh, you know, it's it's not evenly distributed. You know, I can't say we as an entire species are fucked. You know, obviously there's good things happening, you know. So, so and I and I can't say that you know, one of the things that makes humans so special, like what makes Homo sapiens Homo sapiens, is that we have the ability to be flexible and and to work together. You know, you don't really see that. You know, you you can have ants that are working together, but their social structure is not is it's it's not it's inflexible. It's just you know they're not going to like. Or you can have bees. You know, they're working together, but they're not going to like overthrow the queen and establish, uh, you know, a socialist d- democracy, you know, <laughs> like their social structure is fixed. But the humans have the ability to turn on a dime. So so um, I think that's something to remember. You know, things can seem really entrenched, but I think um, the, the, the important thing to remember is that, you know, we, we have the ability to, to shift and um, and yeah, it can be really really overwhelming and uh, I, I think I think what that again that's where it helps to be in community and to be helps to have friends and people that you're working with so that when you're feeling down and unstuck you can turn to someone and and say hey I'm you know and they can say well come on let's go do something I think it helps to do practical things like to, to actually volunteer or to get involved in something where you get to see the results of your work firsthand because some things do take time you know might you know and other things you can just help out and make a difference and, and see the goodness in the world and see the goodness in people um if if we if we say we're fucked then we are fucked hmm. you know because we've given up before we've tried and and you know if our ancestors said that we were fucked like none of us would exist Mm. You know, they, they kept going. They kept trying despite the harsh winter, despite the no food, despite the wars that they faced, the oppression that they faced. You know, all the people who came before us at some point said, I'm going to keep trying, even though it's hopeless, even though it's dire, even though I've lost my entire family, whatever. They kept going. And that's, you know, that that's what we that's what we're that's where we're at. Yeah. One of my uh, favorite writers is a guy named Daniel Quinn. He wrote a book called Ishmael. I'm not sure if you've heard oh, of it. That's funny you mentioned that because that that that, that quote that I was saying about civilization, uh, he wrote another book called that, that the poem that you were just quoting of mine, Beyond Civilization. Yeah, and the whole idea behind that book is what if there's something better than what we've created and it's waiting for us right around the corner. Yeah, and it's just a matter of imagining it and then stepping towards it rather than stepping in, continuing to step in the muck and the mire that we're in. So, no, 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 we're going to step. We're going to we're, we're, we're imagining there's something actually better than what we've already created, which we've 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 bought hook, line and sink and sink. You know, we're just like, oh, yeah, civilization is great. And then you start listing all the ills of modern life and, you know, the prisons and the, you know, the health, you know, how people are unhealthy and stress and, you know, poisons in the environment and toxins in our food. And, and we start looking at these trade-offs that we've accepted and it's like, you know, that's, we don't, it's, it's, 
it's funny how, you know, we've just accepted that civilization is the greatest thing that there is. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's not. Maybe there's something actually better. Yeah, yeah. I, I love I love his writing completely transformed my, my worldview. And I think there are two things at work when you say like, oh, when we focus on the bad stuff, there's number one, there's that universal law that what you focus on expands. And so why would we consciously focus on, you know, the gas leak in in California or or the, you know, the water in um, Flint, you know, or the, the awful things, the human rights violations when we could be focusing on what's next. But the other thing I think is that um you know, how do we learn? We've talked about this in the show. How do we learn how to be from, from the, in the world? It's mostly through the stories that we tell ourselves. The stories are the way we've transmitted culture from one generation to the next forever. It's the only way that people have learned how to be, like how to exist, how to handle situations um, from one to the next. And I think that that's where artists come in. You can't have some politician come to your house and reason with you. This is the way you should react in the next situation because it's it's all head. But once you get into the heart, that's where the art lives and that's where the stories live. And I feel like that's that kind of brings everything full circle uh, with what we're talking about today, because that can can bring us to the next thing, can bring us to, to whatever's beyond civilization. Absolutely. You know, the, the you know, the and even I was going to say when when you were saying about, you know, are we fucked and. It's important as individuals that we cultivate a, a, a story, you know, of ourselves that is essentially, you know, where we're generating our own being, we're generating our own happiness, we're generating our own self, uh, if you will. You know, we're, we're the authors of our epic story and mm-hmm. and getting a handle on that is is, is, is really a key technology of being human that a lot of people discard um, or they've given away their power already by saying, well, this person did that to me 20 years ago. Right. So therefore I'm this way. It's like, well, look at the story you're writing about yourself. Yeah. And, you know, and so this, you know, there's a key human technology, which is the ability to to, to t- you know, tell ourselves empowering stories um, and to to transcend the moment and our circumstances, which then allow us to then, you know, create in the moments and not be tethered to, uh, you know, falsities that are no longer present. And, and, and this is, you know, this is another key, I think, a thing that I think artists are faced with more frequently because they're constantly creating, you know, it's like, okay, today it's like, you're on the stage, you're giving a script, you're like, okay, go, you know, or you're, you're staring at a blank canvas or you're a musician and you get, you maybe you get an inspiration for a song, but you don't know what the baseline is. And you gotta, you, you have to, you can't be who you were yesterday to create something new today. You have to be new in the moments. So you have to be open and, and new. And I, so I think that's that's a key fundamental piece of information. I think for people, uh, you know, to to be able to cultivate, which will help us, you know, to to create the the next thing for civilization. Mm-hmm. I love that you use the word technology there too, because I think a lot of us hear technology and we think of like robotics or we think of you know crazy software or, or some new building technique, but actually technology. If you if you connect it to a human ability to in, to innovate, I think that's a, a key thing because technology is always the birth of some thought. Absolutely, it's always something that. Well, 
all technology is essentially an extension of the human body. So a camera is an extension of your eye. You know, written words extension of our ability to speak. You know, we, so we, you know, any any piece of technology really is just coming. It's just something that is extending who we are and what we do. And so some of these technologies have more physical forms than others. You know, some of them are belief systems. You know, like democracy is a technology in a sense. It's a, it's, it's a social structure that we've created. You know, mm-hmm. same thing with marriage boyfriend girlfriend you know monogamy you know brother well some of these things we were born into okay they're a little more biological (laughs) but um but our relationships you know and how we what what brother means to us you know is a social structure you know that we that we've generated and so being able to to identify that as something that is not static but is dynamic and, and is is it's part of what gives us greater possibility. Yeah. Yeah. I love this. We're getting to the core, I think, of what we do as creative people and why we do it. And we know sometimes we know it and sometimes we don't know it. But at the end of the day, there are people who kind of kick back. And I'm not, there's no judgment, but some people, you know, they kick back and they consume. And there are other people who get their hands dirty and create. And I think with, with the creation, there comes a responsibility of just knowing what you're doing <laughs> and that you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're influencing a lot of people, whether you're, you're, you're aware of it or not. Anybody, anybody, somebody who writes a poem, you know, and never shows it to anybody, you're still putting that out, that energy out into the world. So we're, we're kind of on time, but I'm curious what is in your future because you've, you've got such a varied background and I know that you've got a lot of stuff that you've, that a lot of things that seem that are seemingly um, unrelated, but w- what's next for you? What are you working on? Uh, I'm 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 at a little bit of a crossroads. Uh, I've been, uh, you know, I've got a few, uh, you know, small projects happening here and there. I've been uh, really wanting to actually. Um, just spend some more kind of creative free time in my shop exploring. Um, you know, I've, I've got some many varied interests. I've been interested in robotics and I've been interested in doing some things that are kind of, uh, exploring that and exploring our relationship to robots. I'm also interested in, um, like off the grid living and, and, and I'm considering actually, uh, move out of the city so that I could, you know, perhaps be, living and working on a farm or at least having a larger garden. Um, it's something that's been really pulling at me for a while now. Um, so in, in the meantime, I'm, I'm, uh, I've got a couple of, uh, projects going on. Um, I'm building like an interactive, uh, led display in a, in a permanent installation in a building. And I'm, um, building some furniture and, you know, I've just got some wow. little projects here and there kind of in the bill. There's nothing, there's nothing, there's no big next thing, uh, except, you know, this idea of, of, of getting out to a, a place where I can be, uh, a little bit more closely connected to nature and, you know, growing food and, and, and having a little bit more of a, what feels like a more sustainable lifestyle, something that I'm, mm-hmm. I'm desiring next. Where are you right now? What, what town are you in? Uh, I'm in Berkeley, California, and okay. I have a shop in Oakland. Cool. Uh, uh, if, if you could create your ideal earth, you know, 20, 10, 20 years from now, what would it look like? Wow. Well, uh, ideal or, uh, well, there would be no war. Uh, first of all, um, we, we would be, 
using renewable technologies that we've already have developed, you know, solar, wind, uh, people would be generating their energy sustainably. Uh, there would be green spaces everywhere and we would have our, our cities would be pedestrian oriented. So there would be entire parts of the city, you know, the centers of the city where no vehicles, no, maybe a bicycle paths, things like that, but people could walk around under trees. You could get back to kind of being a human and interacting on a human level, not, uh, you know, just dodging, you know, steel dragons left and right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that would be, uh, that would be a good start. And, 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 uh, and yeah. And, and if I'd also, uh, I would have it so that, you know, when you start school, you start school with um, dance and breathing and meditation practice, you know, so that people are taught from a young age and music, you know, people are taught from a very young age how to be in their bodies and express from their bodies and, and you know, really that kind of core uh, basic stuff of, of um, giving people the you know, from early on, like very early on, like that very cool, like stuff we were talking about, like that, that generating that sense of self, that sense of, of possibility within oneself of being rooted in the body. Um, that would be a core to you know, yoga, meditation, breathing. That would be a core. That would be more important than reading, writing and arithmetic in my world. Mm -hmm. mm, I yeah. love that. Yeah. I've been, uh, I've been, I'm like 240 something days into a meditation practice. I use this app called Headspace and Oh, my, nice. my God, the, the practice of just getting in touch with your breath and re-presencing yourself, the stronger that muscle gets, the easier life is, the easier relationships are nothing, not nothing, but very few things actually like activate me or trigger me now, you know? So I think that something like that, man, man, that would, I'm talking about. that would change the world if, if people learned to do that from a young age. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's, it's, it's funny how, you know, in, in the, in the sixties, from what I understand it, you know, when we had a lot of musicians going to India and this whole kind of, uh, you know, yoga and all this stuff kind of moving into the Western world. And it really, it started to shift consciousness in a way. And there's a reason it's, 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 it does. Cause it's, it's, it's exactly what it does. Like that kind of, that kind of like breathing, that kind of mind body connection that really does, um, shift, you know, your, your body, your physical mental state. Um, so it's, it's powerful. Yeah. I think it's cool that when, you know, you were describing your ideal earth, we started with like the big things and it came down to like people being in touch with themselves because yeah. that's really where it starts. You know, like you can't have those big things unless people are, you know, right. but it's, it's good to have the, it's good, you know, it's, it's good to have the big vision, you know, it's, yeah, it's yeah. the big, the big vision is what, is what, uh, it's kind of like, I want to go to the top of that mountain. Well, in order to get to that top of the mountain, there's a lot of little steps. If I say, I want to take a lot of little steps. It's not very exciting, right. <laughs> you know, but right. the big vision of where we're going is what hooks you in. And then as, when you get stuck or whatever, you go, why am I? Oh, you're right. Cause I want to get to the top of that mountain. I want that view. Mm -hmm. I want that perspective. I want that, that transformation. Um, and then I also want to be able to ski downhill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Totally. Awesome. Well, we have two questions we like to ask all our guests before we, we wrap up. And the first question is, yeah, you, you've led a, a, you're leading a pretty unconventional life. And I mean, unconventional in the terms of like, you're not somebody who's chosen a career in commercial real estate, like many, many, many people in our culture do. So did this life choose you or did you choose it? 
Oh, I definitely chose it. Um, I mean, I've, I've been lucky in the sense that there's been a lot of uh, cool opportunities that have come my way, but I had to choose all of those opportunities once they showed up. I had to say, oh, I'm going to do that. And I and a lot of times had to make certain sacrifices, you know, in order to, you know, even when I did take a full-time job at Obscura, you know, I had to choose that and, and sacrifice in a sense, the, the freedom and, 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 you know, lifestyle that I had as an independent artist and, and in order to work full time. And then when I stopped working in there full time, there was another choice to go back now to, so it's, it's, it's definitely a long, a long string of, of, uh, of, of, um, choices. Hmm. Okay. Right on. And then the last question is if people, or if you could take all your experiences, all your victories, all your stumbles, everything you've learned on your journey and condense it down into one nugget of wisdom to pass on to somebody walking this journey as well, what would that nugget of wisdom or insight be? Oh, wow. Uh, (laughs) um, you know, know your dream and just go for it just or you know take a risk go for it go for go for what you want even if you're not sure like if you think that it's like this littlest thing it just like just go for it life is short hmm. and you should go for what you want now because well you might not want it later <laughs> Wow. I like that. Yeah. People's minds change and things like that. And, and the last thing you want to do is live with regret that you didn't have that experience when you did want it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, we never heard that one before. That's awesome. Uh, Tom, thank you so much for taking the time to, to sit down with us and, and share about your journey. If people want to connect with you online or find out more about you, where can they go? They could go to my website, which is uh, tomseppi.com, T-O-M. S E P E. And, um, yeah, you could, you know, you can find me there. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and all that too, but that's a good, good spot to find out more. And, uh, yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a real pleasure talking with you. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we really appreciate it. We'll make sure we have all those links on our, on our website in the show notes so people can easily connect with you. Uh, and thank you again, Tom, for taking the time and thank you for what you're doing in the world, man. It's, we need more people, um, leveraging their time and energies and talents to to fight the good fight um, and ensure a future that's uh, palatable for all species. Now is the time. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Tom. Okay, welcome back, guys. Hope you enjoyed my chat with Tom Seppi. I just was so excited to sit down and talk with him just because of uh, how how he works. I, I think um, he's one of those rare people that, that, that gets it on a very large scale. And I was excited to talk to him, especially given all the sort of digging that I've been doing into the, um, you know, climate change stuff and and subsequently, you know, Western philosophy and the, the things that the, the ideas, the cultural mythology that we carry around in our heads that has led to the situation we're in and how that's going to be transforming 
as we come up against the limits of, uh, of Western culture and civilization. And I just, God, we could spend a whole season of episodes talking about civilization and going beyond civilization. So there are links in the show notes for some of the books we mentioned, specifically Beyond Civilization by Daniel Quinn, which is a real noodle bake of a book. And uh, I hope um, that you guys got a lot out of this. There was a lot to read between the lines, I think. A lot that um, we sort of touched on, but that to, that, that warrants a little bit further exploration, but the kind of exploration that somebody can only do on their own. So, yeah, we're getting a little, you know, intellectual, spiritual with it. But um, I hope it was valuable for you guys to at least just, I don't know, I guess spark something uh, uh, um, a little bit outside of the box or a little bit off the beaten path when it comes to what art really is and, and what we're doing um, with her lives uh, in the grand scheme of human history. So uh, picks of the week. AJ, what is your pick of the week, buddy? So my pick of the week this week is more of a, a call to action than anything else because I don't know if a lot of people are going to be able to use this because it's a startup and I doubt that they're everywhere. I know they're here in Los Angeles, so I am really speaking to those of you who are listening from LA, but um, it, I, I figure if everyone who's listening to this goes and signs up, hopefully we can make something like this grow. So it's called Wave Car, and of course, like most startups, and I'm sure Trevor's having a laugh right now, uh, it's spelled funny, so it's spelled W-A-I-V-E. C-A-R, wavecar.com. You can obviously grab the link off of our website, but there's an app that you can download. Um, I believe it's on both iOS and Android. And the idea is it's another sort of one of those like ride-sharing things, uh, almost like Zipcar, but way better. And here's why. Their entire fleet is made of electric cars. And on the outside of the electric cars are essentially advertisements, billboards for different various you know companies that have rented out the space on the outside of the cars. So what that means is the actual service itself is free, uh, or at least for the first two hours. So in other words, you can basically reserve a car, drive it for two hours. It's only $6 per hour after that. And you can drive you know wherever you want for those two hours, and then either return it to its home base or there are different like drop-off locations. And that's why I want to get as many people on this as possible because I figure the more people who are using it, the more cars there are, the bigger their fleet is, the more places there are to drop them off and pick them up. The main hub right now in Los Angeles, for instance, is in Santa Monica, which makes sense. Third Street Promenade is a very like, big shopping area for those of you who don't live in L.A. where a lot of people congregate and go. So <clears throat> my thinking is the more that this grows, the more spots that there will be to pick up the car, drop off the car, and maybe even that two-hour time limit will grow further. So all electric vehicle fleet, free to drive for the first two hours, and $6 an hour after that, and they pay for it by using the cars themselves as mobile billboards. Pretty cool concept. So please, please, please go and sign up, even if you think you're not going to use it. Wow, how perfect for this episode to pick uh, an electric car sharing startup service. Um, God, I love that, and I'm going to be on the lookout for that. Six bucks an hour after the first free two hours is not a bad deal. In my experience with these car sharing services, the only 
bottleneck is is availability um it's tough sometimes to find uh like a, a station a drop-off station or a pickup station that's that's nearby to you so I, i'm excited to dig deeper into this startup and hopefully to see them expand so my pick of the week i, I had another pick of the week that was also sort of environmentally themed but i don't want to get too heavy-handed with it here in this episode so i'll just throw one out that appeals to the general populace which is a film called beginners uh, starring Ewan McGregor and Melanie Laurent. And uh, it's a really great film directed by Mike Mills, written and directed by Mike Mills. And it's just quirky and fun and just really solid storytelling. I've been watching more films lately, paying specifically paying attention to how the films are, are put together and done, how they're paced, the camera angles, the length of the takes, the kind of, of shots and I've been reading scripts and then watching the films just to see how they translate from page to screen and what's kept and what's not and what's improvised and what's not. And Beginners is one of the scripts that I recently read and then followed up with a film viewing the next day. And uh, it's it's just fun. And it's a great little film that I really enjoyed and learned a lot from as a actor, artist, storyteller kind of guy. So check it out. Link in the show notes for this episode. So that is Wave Car and beginners check it out we have a listener pick of the week that was sent in a uh, team pick of the week actually that we're going to mention on the next episode so hope you guys enjoyed this episode of inside acting with tom seppi if you have anything you'd like to share any thoughts or ideas or anything that this episode sparked you guys know how to get in touch with us we are insideacting.net and we have Twitters and Instagrams and Facebooks and comment threads and all sorts of stuff, including the membership. Lots of uh, discussion uh, always happening in the membership as well. So today's episode of Inside Acting was produced and co-hosted by me, Trevor Algott, and AJ Meyer. Jen Levin is our production coordinator. Gadali Gubrek is our marketing and web director. Deborah Smith is our community manager. And Timothy Patrick is our director of public relations. Uh, Trevor Algott, that's me, edited and mixed today's episode and composed our theme and interview music. You can sign up for our weekly email dispatch and listen to all of our recent episodes over at our website, InsideActing.net. And you can also find us on iTunes where your reviews are hugely appreciated. Seriously, if you if you can support us in no other way, if you enjoy the show or hell, if you don't enjoy the show and you just really need to let us know, uh, hop on over to iTunes and leave us a review. It's kind of like putting a little tip in our tip jar. We really appreciate uh, the positive reviews, especially the constructive reviews. You know, if you're just a crazy hater, then send us an email <laughs> but if you if you have something constructive to say or just want to um make sure that uh other people get access to this thing called inside acting a great way to, to, to do that is to leave us a positive review on itunes there's a link on our website to take you directly to our show page special thanks to our sponsors rehearsal pro and vo2gogo.com and special thanks to you our listeners if you love inside acting and you're listening to this and you think you you might want to maximize the, its value in your life and career and support the continued production of it you can sign up as a member and get cool perks like access to our membership message board, cool freebies, invites to exclusive member meetups, and more. Just visit InsideActing.net and click on the membership tab. And that's it for episode 229 of Inside Acting. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, life is short. Go for it. Go for it.